The Outlet. The Voice of Central. Welcome to The Outlet. I'm your host, Brent Harbour. In this podcast, I speak with CODC Mayor Tim Cadogan. We explore some critical topics facing the council, including the potential delay of the long-term plan and its alignment with strategic goals, the impact of dropping three waters reforms, challenges surrounding community board delegations and implications for local governance, and look into the plans for the Cromwell Memorial Hall. Plus, I catch up with Vicky, the owner of the Central App, to talk about media, and we bust some myths around your Central App. Local voices, local info, the outlet, the voice of Central. Hi, Tim. Welcome to the Outlet Podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. You're probably on your fifth cup of coffee because you've been uh, having a whole lot of meetings this week. Let's get into talking about those. Can you please elaborate on the potential uh, ramifications of delaying the long-term plan completion and how that aligns with the council's long-term strategic goals. Yeah, so what we had um, on Wednesday at the council meeting was an opportunity that fell in the lap of all the councils in New Zealand from the government only a couple of weeks ago. When they got rid of the Three Waters reforms, we'll go back a step. At our last LTP three years ago, we were told that by June next year, you will not have your Three Waters, so you will do no budgets. Three Waters is about a third of our budget, so you can imagine that's a big deal. When the government repealed all those laws, that meant the Three Waters came back onto our table and the government very responsibly, credit where it's due, said, listen, by law you're meant to do an LTP this year, but if you want another year to do it, then you can have that. And that's the opportunity that we took on Wednesday. Now, in terms of our long-term strategic goals, it doesn't change an awful lot for two reasons. One is that whereas this year we would have moved into year one of the long-term plan which would have new direction in it. That's The long-term plan is where you go, here's the big things we need to do. The last one was the Cronel Town Wall, the Cronel Wall, Riverside Park, Ormacow up and so forth. Realistically, we're in survival mode. That might be a bit dramatic, but we are really in a position now of we've got to do business as usual. There isn't room in the budget for great big sparkly new projects. So it doesn't change our strategic goals very much because our strategic goals haven't changed a lot. They are to get on with the things that we put in the last LTP and to keep working towards the requirements that are needed in our um, Three Waters space and really, I guess, core services, you'd say. Okay, so for the whole thing with Three Waters, I suppose it just means you have to revisit some projects or just put them on hold? Is that is that the way you approach it? Yes and no. So there's, there's two big components to the Three Waters reforms, and one of those is that despite the Three Waters legislation being thrown out, the thing that started it all, the Water Services Act of 2021, which brought into effect strict enforcement of the drinking water standards, they, that's what's causing a big budget blowout for many councils. And we in 2017, LTP said we are going to get our drinking water up to standard. So we were already in the direction that the government three years later mandated us to go in. But we're in the unfortunate position of having a drinking water scheme, so it's a lot of work. So that, um, we're just sort of business as usual with that. We're heading in, we're back on the track that we started in 17. However, the other spectre on the horizon is the move at the moment. It's, it's, it's a direction, it's not really solid, and the change of government makes it less so, of over a long period of time stopping discharging treated wastewater to rivers and streams. And that is really going to cost us some money. So we're having to start to pick the preparatory work up for that. 
and wait and see what happens in that regard. So there's also been discussion on delegations to community boards. What specific challenges or concerns are there around the current decision-making structure in light of the economic climate, Tim? This is a complex one, and we've got four community boards. So in the first instance, the 67 councils in New Zealand, and only 13 of them have community boards for everybody in their district. So to start with, we're an outlier there. Then we um, have the most heavily delegated community boards of any council that I've ever come across. I've, I've been in this job seven and a half years and no other mayor's gone, yeah, we do that. In fact, most of them do what? And, and look, it can be a strength and a weakness. And I think it, you know, it could be argued that it has served us very well in the past, but we've got a new CEO and I fully support and was, was intending to do this myself, that he's come in and gone, when did you last have a look at, at whether this serves you best, the massive delegation? And what delegation is that we've got a whole list of things that for virtually every other council in New Zealand is run by the council. We have them run by the community board. So we're talking museums, halls, pools, and so forth. So the delegations discussion that happened on Wednesday was the decision-making on virtually everything would fall onto council and not uh, remain with community boards. Now, we've resiled from that. We've gone, okay, we're going to have a districtization discussion later in the year, and that's even more complicated. But the two have become conflated by misunderstanding and, dare I say, some misinformation that's been put out to the public. So we're going to have the discussion later in the year on the two, well, on the districtization, and depending on that, how that goes, we'll come back to the delegations. And what districtization is all about, and it's the bigger discussion, and it's the one that's got people a bit nervous, is that, again, if we go back to our halls, our, our pools, our everything, they're ward-based, which means that the ward pays for them. If you have, for instance, the Vincent Ward pays for the, the running of the Alexandra Port, because, of course, it doesn't run on its own. Whereas if you look at the Alexandra Library, it's paid for by the whole district, because our libraries are districtized. Same for walls and so forth. So... The situation that we've got, the habit that we've got into, the way that we've done things is that when we have any asset sales in our district, the value of that asset will be spent in the ward that the, that the asset comes from, and that's under the guidance of the community board from there. So budgetary restraints, we've, we've already signaled we're going out with something around about a 20% rates rise, which is horrific. Councils have four ways to meet their costs. One is by having a, a council-controlled organisation that makes it, makes it money, like Whitestone Contracting for Waitaki. We don't have one of those. We, can, you know, we may set one up, but it's not going to solve our problems any time soon. Then you've got rights. Then you've got debt, which puts interest on your rates. And then the one card you've got left in your hand is asset sales. And, of course, you will have seen Mayor Wayne Brown selling Auckland Airport shares to help alleviate the rates burden in Auckland. With the way we've structured things, if we were to say, right, we're going to sell, and our, our assets are primarily land, if we're going to sell some land, under the current way we do things, that land can only be applied to ward-based functions. Now, the problem with that is our big cost drivers are Three Waters and the roading network, which are districtized, which means that when it comes to our big cost drivers, the way we're doing things at the moment, we can only meet it through rates or debt, which increases rates. And so what I'm saying as mayor is we're going to have a discussion later this year about whether we break that habit and make it open to council to say, you know what, we need to alleviate the rates burden and we're going to do that by selling some land. And look, if the land is in Cromwell, then so be it. That land in Cromwell may be used to fix some bridges in the Maniatoto because we're one district. Now, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I am saying we're going to be asking the question about that, whether that 
is the way we want to go forward as a community. And to to take it, just another analogy thrown in there, I talked about Wayne Brown selling the Auckland Airport shares, and I challenged people to say, would it make any sense for Wayne Brown to then only apply those funds in South Auckland where the airport is, as opposed to across the whole of his road? So that's the question for later in the year, and the delegations discussion will now fall out of that. If the districtisation doesn't go ahead, then we'd have to ask ourselves what that means for the delegations. If the districtisation does go ahead, same thing. It, it will directly impact on what our delegations need to So what are the potential implications of you know, revising community board delegations as far as community engagement goes in central Otago? Look, the community boards have done a great job of being grassroots sounding boards. They're the people you go to. Generally, you know, people will often approach their community board member about a problem ahead of their councillor. It's just the way it is. I'm a big believer in the principle of subsidiarity, which means you get the best decision-making if the decision-making is made closest to where the decision applies. But that is not a blanket rule. It doesn't always necessarily apply. So my view is that, and we may do this anyway, is that we're going to open up better ways for the community board chairs and, and from them, the community board members, to engage with council and bring their matters before council. I'd, I'd looked at putting that in as part of the, you know, if we change the delegations, here's how we're going to reinvigorate the community boards. And as Councillor Sarah Brown from Cromwell said yesterday in the meeting, well, if it's such a good idea, why aren't we doing it anyway? To which I had to respond at the point. So we'll be looking into that, um, making that happen, because I think it's a good way to go forward whether the delegations change. So while the report on the Cromwell Memorial Hall was discussed in the non-public section, can you share any key considerations or goals outlined in the operating model and funding principles and how they may shape the future of the Memorial Hall's operations? We've always been cautious at Central Otago about when we put things into public excluded, particularly things of extreme public interest, which the Cromwell Hall obviously is and has been for a number of years. And the reason that we had to do that is that there was the potential on Wednesday that council would put a stop to the town hall project. And and actually, if we go back to that delegations discussion, it does show that the change we were looking to make wasn't as big as some people were making out. Because when it does come to the big things, we can go, you know what? No, we're not going to be doing that. What did eventuate was that the council said, by a vast majority, we're going to go ahead with the Cromwell Town Hall, uh, the Cromwell Memorial Hall, and it's going to get built. It is at big expense, but that expense, if you look at your difference between capital expense and operating expense, the capital expense, the build cost, is going to come from land sales, and the operating expense at this stage will come from Cromwell ratepayers. And Cromwell ratepayers, back when we consulted on this in 2021 LTP, were very, very clear that just get on and build us a town and when it came down to the discussion, because the numbers were scary, I think Councillor Lindley Claridge summed it up extremely well, where she said, every town needs a heart and Cromwell hasn't got one because it hasn't got a town hall. And so the hall that's going to be built is a magnificent structure. It's, it's going to be like buying a pair of pants that you're going to grow into. Yeah, yeah, as being a gentleman of a certain age, you probably know what I'm talking about. But look, it is it is for what Cromwell needs now, but, but it is going to be what Cromwell will need in the future. And when you're building something like that, you've got to build it for the future. It's going to be wonderful. So that's that's gone through now and is only just being publicly released, that news. And the reason that we couldn't have the whole discussion in public was that if it went the other way and the hall didn't go ahead, 
we needed to have some consideration to the people who had put the tenders forward, to the people on the Cromwell Community Board and so forth, to be able to have the discussion with them and say, hey, we've got some bad news. So the public will get a chance to view the discussion so that they know how the discussion went. That'll go up on the council website. And of course, I'm telling you now what's happened. Um, so it's going to be very exciting for Cromwell. I'm sure it's going to be very well received. There will be some people, because you never make everybody happy in this job, who go, holy smoke, there are so many things that we could spend our money better on. And look, yeah, maybe there is. But we listened to what the public said in the last LTP consultation and uh, the master plan before that, and also the 450 people, I think, who came to look at the VR demonstration of what the board will look like, who went, this is magnificent, get on with it. And sometimes you just got to recognise you're not going to make everybody happy. And sometimes you got to recognise that sometimes you got to make some big decisions that can make your eyes water, but you still got to make them. So it's exciting times. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it's the same in life with your family and that. You go, sometimes you buy things that are good and sometimes you go, we should have spent that somewhere else, right? Well, yeah. And look, I... I, I was I was one of the Central Lakes trustees when the paper got put up to put, I think it was $11.5 million into the cycle trail network in Central Otago, um, including Queenstown Lakes. And at the time, I sat there and went, there are so many better things we could be doing. And I, I voted for it in the end, but I really put it to the test that, you know, is this the right decision? And I wrestled with it the same as I wrestled with the whole decision because you're spending other people's money. And I suppose it did give me comfort on Wednesday and making my vote that, boy, oh boy, was that a good investment. I, I couldn't in my wildest dreams. And I think the, uh, you know, when you have a board and they're meeting, you'll have some who are strong advocates and others who are tooth suckers that I can be sometimes. I go, gee, I'm not sure. Um, the strongest advocates would have been surprised how well the, the trail, even just the Lake Dunstan trail with more to come has worked out. So when it comes to those big money items, it's not so much how much money you're spending, it's the ability to repay it. And with the Cromwell Memorial Wall project, there is endowment land sitting there that's waiting to be developed. And not only that needs to be developed, which is just, I think, the perfect. It's a, it's a very good use for it. Well, you've got a lot to work on, Tim, so I'll let you get on with it, but I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. And thank you, Brent. It's always a pleasure to be able to come on the app. And I'll just, if I have, may have another moment, the closure of News Hub or the announcement of Hub's closure yesterday just brings home to me the absolute importance of media, such as the work that you're doing and that the app is doing. And so strength to your arm and long may you continue doing what you're doing for Central Otago. Really appreciate that, Tim. And as someone who worked at TV3 for four years, I, I feel sorry for what's going on there. And I feel sorry for New Zealand, to be fair, just like you. Yeah, it's a it's a bleak, bleak day. And, you know, I don't know where we go from here because if you're not getting the news from a reliable news source, you're getting it from an unreliable one. Really appreciate that, Tim. And with all that's going on in media at the moment, I thought it would be a good time to catch up with Vicky to talk more about what we do. Vicky is the owner of the Central App. Hi, Vicky. How are you? Hi, I'm good, Bren. How are you going? Excellent, thank you. So I've got a few things we'll have a chat about. First up, I think we need to talk about what happened with News Hub yesterday and kind of how that affects media and the perception of media around the country. I mean, both you and I have worked for TV3 and TV3 was part of MediaWorks at the time, which you and I have both worked for. So it was a bit of a shock to see that come out of the blue yesterday. Yeah, right. I have had quite a lot of calls and, and sort of people sort of saying, hey, what's your feeling on this? And I, you know, I guess probably even listening to Tim before me, it's kind of, 
I mean, it's mixed emotions for all of us. We've all been in media a long time. We've seen the media landscape change a lot over the years. And, you know, for you and I that have been in it for 30-odd years, <laughs> we've been a part of the good, bad and the ugly and the heyday of kind of TV3 when it started up and everyone got excited about it. Yes, it took me off to Australia when I worked for them in Sydney, bringing sort of all the ideas and revenue back to New Zealand. So, yeah, it's a, it is a shock. I guess I go back to... Our generation and the generation before, you'll remember this, when we used to sit around the table and be told to shush because the news came on at six o'clock. And so that doesn't happen anymore, right? That's the thing. Look, yeah, I worked at 91 FM, which was part of Metro Media that actually launched TV3. I think it's about 1989 when it launched, somewhere around there. And I was there for four years. I worked as the, what they call the promo trailer voice for the television network, telling you all the shows that were coming up and all the movies and things. So I know from working there, how many good people are involved in that business and have been there for a really long time. But, you know, the way we consume our media is changing. And, you know, the digital aspect, like us with the central app, podcasts and all these things, there is so much or so many ways that you can get information now. And, you know, a lot of it is going to the small screen, not the big screen. So I can understand how they want to focus more on what they do in the digital world. But I still think there are people that sit down and watch the six o'clock news, even if it's on delay an hour later. That's kind of what we do in our household. Right, yeah. And that's it. I think you're right in terms of everyone's got different consumer habits today, depending on, you know, whether you were born in the digital era and you sort of go, what's that thing called a TV for those younger kids? And, you know, they've all got live stream, right? And I don't know. Globally, I think we sort of have to look around the world and see what everyone else is doing sometimes. And we're probably one of the very few countries left in the world that consume TV. You know, there is we've got to evolve, right? Times change and, you know, all those good people as we know, we've been in the we've been in the firing end of these squads. You um, the cream rises to the top and we find new opportunities from it. So sad, you know, it's always tough. There's always that horrible shock. But then sort of a year later you look back and go, gosh, I'm pleased that happened to me. We're doing this with the central app. We're talking about digital journalism and making sure we get the voice of the regions heard because I think that's a big part of it that's what's disappeared yeah and I guess probably you know in some way setting up the central app you know Marielle set it up what eight years ago so we're coming to our eighth birthday now and we've seen us grow a lot you know you probably had those naysayers back then saying it's never going to work you know we now are very strong in the market we're definitely becoming a choice of information People check us out when things happen. We've got three really, you know, qualified journalists in our neighbourhood that work for us and deliver and, and, you know, reach the market that we want to talk to. And on top of that, you know, we've got to look at other ways and we've got a newsletter we're launching today. Some people do prefer to read newsletters and just get it sort of in that brief kind of let's just read it and see what it's about. Some people want to listen to an audio like this and get, you know, the, the voice of the person that's sort of written the story or talking about that topic. So we're sort of getting there, and I think we do a bit of social now and then, but again, we don't want to risk going into that area of fake news. You know, we really want to make sure that everything's accurate. We've got those experienced people on the ground checking facts and delivering it so that we can keep that honesty and transparency to our local market. Well, basically, the central app is where you live in the palm of your hand. That sums up what we do, really. But there's a few myths around the central app as well that we kind of need to bust. Oh, I know those ones. That's <laughs> all <laughs> yeah. Um People still think we're owned by the, the council, by the district council. Yeah. So I think a few acts are around New Zealand and 
we get a lot, you'd be surprised at how many people actually write to us on a daily basis saying, hey, you forgot to get my bin today or my neighbor's dog is barking. And so we politely kind of say, look, we're not actually owned or we're not the central Otago District Council. Um, However, here's the button on our app so that you can easily access them. And I guess that's it. It's kind of, that's one of the myths. I mean, the other one is obviously older people don't use apps. Oh gosh. I mean, I, I can't believe the amount of people I talk to that just say thank you for introducing the app to us because it's one button. Everything's there for Central Otago. We don't have to hunt on that big wide world web <laughs> to find what we need to find. All local content is there. So uh, more and more we can see that growing and, you know, there's more and more classes for people to learn digital. So I think it's becoming a simple way to get your information. I think so. I know a lot of older people that have their iPads and everything set up. That's how they do everything in the house and look after their daily day. So you're absolutely right that they will be using the app. Well, you know, eight years going strong. If people want to get in touch with you or the Central app, how should they go about that, Vicky? We do have a button there, contact us on the Central app. A lot of people do use that, which is fantastic. We're actually just upgrading our website that you'll see in the next couple of weeks, which is exciting. Another sort of investment and commitment to say that we're, you know, depthening, I guess, our commitment to Central Otago. And also you can call us. I mean, we're all around the corner from you. So I bump into most of you at the supermarket. So we can all sort of stop and have a chat wherever. Um, We're pretty easy and pretty accessible. Thanks for all the work that you and the team put into the Central app. It's just great for getting all that local news and information and finding out about where we live. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks to our team, hey. Without them, we've got seven brilliant people and a lot of talent. So we're very fortunate to have everyone living and working and playing in this beautiful place we choose to live, Central Otago. On Buzzsprout, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. The Outlet. The Voice of Central. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Outlet. If you have a story or an interview you think should be featured on the Outlet podcast, get in touch by clicking on the Contact Us button on the Central app. The Outlet is produced and published by the Central app and supported with funding from the New Zealand Public Interest Journalism Fund. The Outlet is available on the main page of the Central app and wherever you get your podcasts.